anything planned for this episode? Um, actually, I I do not. Um, busy time uh, of year, isn't it? I I thought you was it me? I I don't know. I don't know. I'm working a lot right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. I got like finals coming up and I'm like forgetting things and I guess I forgot to plan anything for this episode, which isn't like us. No, not at all. No. We're we're on the ball usually. Deeply responsible. Oh, oh, I've got it. I've got I don't want to let anybody down. We said there's an episode coming out today. You remember the the the, the Great Lakes Lore holiday party? You mean you and me sitting in the basement? Um it's a party. It, it, I mean, that's yeah. what the invitation said. Yeah, it was yeah, a party. Yeah, it did. Who okay, made well, those invitations? Um, uh, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. He, okay. He's the messenger boy. Mm, he, he's the, mm-hmm. the, the messenger boy. I mean, he's 45, but he's been Jimmy the messenger boy since he was, <laughs> oh gosh, it's been like 25 years now. So we, we just still just still call him Jimmy the messenger boy. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that. He's oddly okay with it. It's a okay, little strange, okay. but yeah. So Jimmy, Jimmy made those, but okay. more to the point, I probably should have mentioned this before I actually did it, but I had the tape machines running, recording everything that was going on during the party. Tape machines, you say? Uh, well, the, the digital <laughs> tape machines. Oh, okay. Being, being I thought you the, went old school. <laughs> hey, and we were, we did, we told those stories. So. Yeah, we told, we told monster stories. Yeah. Uh, can we just put that into an episode? Yeah, I think that's probably the best thing to do. All right. Well, okay. Let, let's go for it. So great party. Um, do you need some some wassail? I've got some. I've, well, I've, I've got beer. I don't have wassail, but I've got beer. Oh, I thought the invitation said there'd be wassail. It's like my favorite. Oh, that was ugh, Jimmy. Jimmy. He was being festive. Um, I told him ale. Maybe he thought I meant. Wa- <laughs> do you want a beer? Yeah, I guess. Is anybody else coming? Um. No, it's the Great Lakes Lore holiday party, so we're Great Lakes Lore. Us, huh? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could have included spouses, but the the beer budget didn't run to spouses this mm. year. So mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think of the music? Uh what is it? It's it's um Christmas songs. Um it it sounds a little poppy, a little scratchy. Uh, it's because I, I, you, you're not saying you don't mean poppy is in pop music, do you? No, I mean, I mean, no. pops like, like the discs vinyl are popping. Yeah, well, I, I thought since since the holidays are a time for, for for family and nostalgia, I thought that I'd get my Mima's gramophone out and you know play some old seventy eights, and I, I just thought that would be really sort of historical. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, you don't like it, do you? No. No. Okay. No, no. I mean, I enjoy a good old Carol. Yeah. But maybe in higher quality. Oh, I'll I'll turn it off. Okay. 
Okay, so um, music's out. Yeah. Uh, have I have I ever told you that um, back in the day? You know, I love that phrase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they uh, they used to tell ghost stories and monster stories at Christmas. Oh, really? Yeah. So I actually I talk about this um, on my my house tours at Christmas time, usually for work. But since Christmas occurred near the winter solstice, or they incorporated it with winter solstice right, celebrations right. as Christianity spread across Europe. Um, the pagans living throughout Europe um, believed that with the shorter days and the longer darkness, there was more time for like monsters and spirits and everything to roam the earth. A sensible conclusion. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, but so as that belief sort of faded and Christian Christmas ideas took over, the vestige of that was sort of telling Christmas stories. And of course, what is our most famous ghost story at Christmas? I think I'm supposed to say a Christmas carol. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> you get the A plus that my visitors on my house tours get. <laughs> yeah. So this, there's actually a subtitle to A Christmas Carol and it's something like a ghost story for Christmas time or something like that. And Henry James's The Turn to the Screw starts off. It's Christmas, and they're all telling stories oh, around the fireplace. So a very right. sort of Victorian English tradition that that held out. Oh, oh, I get it. You want to tell some monster stories? Okay, I see where you're Just going. Just an with idea? This. No, I, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's okay. I was, I was going to see what everybody else wanted to do, but there's nobody else here. So now my dog is snoring. That's how boring this is, Aaron. Yeah, I'm glad you brought him though. That's yeah, nice. spice yeah. things up a little bit. You know, it is better than the Christmas party I had for the Saucer Life where it was just me drinking alone. That was pretty depressing. <laughs> you didn't even invite the Saucer Wife to that one? She had a better party to go to. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I've got a monster mm-hmm. that we can start off with. And All it's right. local to here in, it's here in Michigan. It's the Monroe mm-hmm. Monster. And this was uh, something that happened in August of 1965 down in Monroe County, which is on the southern border of Michigan, right uh, right on the Ohio line. Next stop is Toledo. It's basically Ohio. Yeah, it's it is basically <laughs> Ohio. So this was a a fun story, and and the the sort of most complete account of it was in a UPI United Press International story that went out across the state and nationwide, and it had the best sort of opening line that they possibly could, and it was <laughs> sort of a question. What weighs more than 400 pounds, smells moldy, growls like a mad dog, and dislikes automobiles. <laughs> and that like last phrase, yeah, that, that last phrase is, has always stuck with me because it's connected to the most famous encounter with the Monroe Monster. It was seen by 15 or 16 people during July and August of 1965, but the most well-known story is of a 17-year-old girl named Christine Van Acker. And one of the things I always not loved but was notable about this is the newspapers referred to her at not as a 17-year-old woman or a 17-year-old girl but as a 17-year-old blonde. Which <laughs> What are they trying to say? I I don't know. It's Listeners, I, I am blonde, so <laughs> If so, somebody's interviewing me say, saying, "Aaron, tell us about your your podcast broadcast partner. I wouldn't say, well, she's blonde. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of lead with that, but 
you know, it was 1965 right. and, and I'll assume they thought that was that was vital information. So <laughs> Van Acker was a uh, beautician school student, a beauty school student, and she had a black eye and she said it was from the monster, which, you know, that seems weird. Were there any other witnesses? Yes, her mother was in the car with her. And this is how Christine explained it. She said, quote, I was driving mother. Mrs. Rose Owens home. Suddenly there was this bump and a hairy arm grabbed me by the hair. It wasn't human or anything. I tried to go faster, but the car stalled. So it, as she's driving, the arm reaches in and grabs her out of nowhere? Yes. In yes. motion. In okay. motion. <laughs> oh, in mo- and I, at first I was like, well, why? How'd it get through the window? And I was like, oh, it was August in 1965. They had the windows open, right? You probably didn't sure. have air conditioning. Um, so the window was open. So what kind know, of road was she driving down? Like, is this like 25 miles per hour? <laughs> it was, <laughs> or- it was a, it was a back road. It was, oh, I think, so she could have been slower. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and yeah. I think if I'm recalling correctly, and I don't have all the details on me because yeah, yeah, I sure. wasn't, exp- this is just from memory here at the Christmas party, but I think it was sort of a curvy road with trees. So it, mm. she would have been driving slow enough for a monster to get her. Absolutely. <laughs> so Christine faints and her mom gets out of the car and runs for help. And according to the news story, mom told police, Quote, the first thing I knew, there was this bang and an arm came through the window. Christine yelled, Mommy, help me. Oh, my God, help. I told her to get the car going, but it stalled. The monster had his paw entwined in her hair and kept banging her head on the side of the car. And I decided the best thing to do was to go for help. When I got back with other people, Christine was semi-conscious and the monster was gone. Now, I would hope, I mean, Grant, yes, I guess someone needed to get help, but... She left her child there for the beast to get. <laughs> I'd hope my mom would stay with me or, or something. Or like get a stick or a right. tire or, or like I tried to get the beast to let go of her and stop bashing her head into the car. <laughs> but I was like, well, you know, it's probably, you know, she'll probably still be semi-conscious if I run away for help and come back. She probably, <laughs> you know, won't be fully you know, beaten into, <laughs> you know, a decline. But um, we get from the mother a, a description of the monster. It was covered in black, bristly hair. And towards the end of the hair, it was silver. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't see its face. There was so much hair. And it growled. I don't know. This is a, a weird story. And other people saw a similar creature in the area throughout the summer. Um, Hmm. there was a later sort of investigation by something called the UFO entities related catalog Hmm. or UFERC, I think they (laughs) abbreviate it. (laughs) And they had a very succinct conclusion, probable confusion, comma, bear, (laughs) like bear, like an animal, not bear, like naked. So the UFO (laughs) people thought it was a bear. Um, the police didn't know what it was. There was, you know. I don't know. What do you think? You're from Michigan um, and know things. <laughs> are bears a thing? This is this is party talk here. Are bears a thing <laughs> yeah. in, you know, Michigan? Yeah, but I don't know that they're a thing in southeast Michigan. You know, that's what I was it sort of wondering. Strike me at, yeah, it doesn't strike me as bear country. I was going to say a bear has paws. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm I'm not sure about a bear paw. If this is on video, you could see it. I'm not <laughs> sure about a bear paw grabbing a woman yeah. by the hair and slamming her repeatedly into the mm-hmm. side of the car. I think you need thumbs for that. Mm. Jointed fingers at the least. Also, I don't know what would cause a bear bust into a moving vehicle. Like the bears that we have around here are generally black bears. And <gasps> with bristly hair? <laughs> I mean, bear fur. <laughs> Ooh. I stay away, so I don't know how bristly it is. But, um, yeah. But like, well, my dad has a black bear mount in our house. So, um, you know, I mean, I guess it's bristly. It, it's not fluffy. Um, but, but I mean, black bears aren't known for being like the first aggressor, right? Like, right. they're not a grizzly bear. I mean, I've watched enough of like when animals attack and weird things to know black attack, brown lie down. Because if you encounter the black bear, you can generally freak it out and scare it away. The brown bear, you just want to like be submissive <laughs> and pretend you're dead. And it sounds like that reminds me of like something that like a gorilla or something would do. Like, I feel like I've seen like some bashing something repeatedly or something. Right. Yeah. It sounds like, like, you know, yeah, yeah. You see, you see primates, you know, on documentaries about how primates, you know, you do primitive tool use, you know, they'll mm-hmm. bash one thing into another to, mm-hmm. I don't know, steal the car or yeah. whatever this creature was, <laughs> was going for, but it doesn't sound like a bear. What do we think this is? What do we think happened here? I don't know. I've always sort of wondered. I don't know. A man in a ghillie suit. You know? A pervert. A pervert in a ghillie pervert in a ghillie suit. That's <laughs> okay. I'm completely <laughs> fine with that. Um I think it's an interesting story. So so yeah. do you have a monster story? Yeah, so I have a, a really weird one. It's uh not I'm not going to preface it. I'll just dive in. So the Upper Peninsula was filled with logging and mining and all of these different things, right? Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And so up there, logging was was really big in the 1880s, 90s, that, that kind of um, time. As things slowed down in the Lower Peninsula, it moved to the Upper Peninsula. And um, so there's this, the town of Sini. S-E-N-E-Y in the Upper Peninsula. And it began as a railroad stop in 1881 and then grew into a logging community. Like so many of these logging towns today, it's like a gas station, a bar, a stop and go and like motels and cabins to rent because they're right next to the Sini National Wildlife Refuge. So people do kind of go to the area. Um, But when this was a town, like a booming town, it was raucous. Um, It was filled with gambling dens and bars and whorehouses and everything a good town needed back then, right? (laughs) Um, And so this monster, monster in quotes, dates back to this time. And there was this one very illustrious character named P.K. Small. That's a great, that's a great name. I know. <laughs> it sounds like a made up name. Well, then he even had a more made up name because he became known as Snapjaw. His name, he had the nickname His Snapjaw. nickname was Snapjaw. And wait, you'll find out why. He was like, I mean, like so many, you know, guys who went off to lumber camps, you know, he ended up in need of money. He was, you know, bankrupt and was known to do anything for whiskey money, including biting the heads off of animals. <laughs> he would do other things too. He was um, it, 
was reported that he stuck his head in a spittoon, a full spittoon, oh. which seems disgusting. Um, I think I'd rather bite the head off of a bird <laughs> than yeah, put my head abs- in a spittoon. <laughs> absolutely. And he even ate horse dung. So, oh, oh you know, gosh. Anything for money. And of course, as the stories, you know, spread, everybody then who came through the town wanted to find Snap John, ask him if he'd really do these things, um, or PK Small, if you prefer. And he became known as the Sini Ogre because of his unruliness, obviously, and his sort of disgusting nature. But he also had a sort of rough physical appearance. The legend is that he actually had his nose bitten off (laughs) by something, someone or something. I couldn't find out what the legend was. I I would think human personally, um, in some kind of weird fight like Mike Tyson situation, um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then when they sewed his nose back on, they kind of did a really poor lopsidedy job about it. So um, this. This individual, obviously not a true monster. I did a little bit of research and I couldn't find too much on him. But, well, I don't know why I was doing research because I just know this story, don't I? I'm just telling you from my memory. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But the the one webpage that I found ended with, and is he in the cemetery in Sini? I don't know. You'll have to find out when you visit. So clearly something just put out by the bar owner in Sini who wanted to what? trump up business. Oh, what? <laughs> It's like, here's an amazing story about P.K. Small. Is he buried here? Come to see me and find out. No, I refuse to, sir. I, <laughs> I, I will not. Okay. I've got some questions about this story. Yes. I probably okay. won't have answers. <laughs> I, I, that's fine. Okay. So, he'd eat anything for money, small mm-hmm. animals, horse dung. Mm-hmm. Did he have, is it called, is it pica? Is that the the psychological disorder where people just eat things that they shouldn't eat? Oh, I would think he's some level of, you know, mentally disturbed or has some type of psychological issue um, coupled with probably being an alcoholic who really needed his next fix in an area that is just filled with drinking and gambling and men and prostitutes. It's an easy place to Get rid of all your money very, very quickly. Yes. And it's funny because I, I never really thought about the towns in the Upper Peninsula as being sort of like, you know, the 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 West, like, boom mining towns. Like, that, for some reason, never crossed my mind. But it's like, oh, well, they totally would have had towns like that. Like Wild West sort of things, yeah. And this is sort of a factual question, and, and we're at a party. I don't expect you to know the answer to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Were they sewing noses back onto faces in the late 19th century? Because that seems like a pretty ambitious sort of reconstructive surgery process. I mean, well, I mean, you know, like it's it's not like they were doing skin grafting or I think they probably were just like, oh my gosh, this poor guy's nose has fallen off. Let's, I mean, it's just a cartilagey like. Blah. So if you lined everything up and stitched and apparently they couldn't even do that right so maybe they were not i mean i don't think they were really because they didn't do a good job at it anyways maybe he just got his drunk friend to like hey buddy will you sew this back on for me he's like yeah sure (laughs) how do you survive that in an age before antibiotics pouring whiskey on it (laughs) you know that's probably that's probably it um 
Is he dying of sepsis? Ah, he's just drunk again. That's an interesting <laughs> story. I Yeah. He's he's a monster in the sense that he looked like a monster. He was, had this this monstrous appearance. He was given this nickname, but he's mm-hmm. an actual person supposedly. Mm-hmm. And and he he did monstrously weird things, but there's nothing supernatural or mysterious about it. He's he's just a weirdo. An unfortunate weirdo. Unfortunate weirdo. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the title of my autobiography someday. <laughs> I'm glad I could provide that for you. <laughs> the only other comment I have about this is Snapjaw sounds like a name they'd give a Transformer back in the 80s. Ooh, like that's he fun. transformed into a, a turtle or something. I was going to say a turtle. I was like, a he turtle. reminds me of like a snapping turtle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Snapjaw, the snapping turtle. But yes. saying turtle reminded me of another story. Okay, actually. go for it. And this is from not quite my hometown, but the county that I'm from, uh, Whitley County in uh, northeastern Indiana. And it's a town called Churubusco. This is a story about Oscar, the beast of Busco, he was called. He's a beast in the sense that he's big. He's a big turtle. He's a (laughs) giant snapping turtle. And stories of this turtle in Falk Lake go back to a guy named Oscar Falk, who didn't call it Falk Lake at the time, but it would be called that, you know, afterwards. And he was swimming in it and he sighted a large turtle. And the story goes that he carved his name, Oscar, into its shell. Oh, that's I know, mean. right? Who does I mean, that? it's yeah, it's, it's, the guy's a jerk if he did that, yeah. you know? I'm not sure when this was. Some say 1898. But the best summary I ever found when I was doing research about Oscar, when I was in just high school, well, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, oh, you know, you okay. do reports on things. So sure. you, you look up the old newspapers and everything, um, found a newspaper article from 1962 summarizing all of it. And it said it was over 50 years ago. Oh. And then the story sort of goes away. I saw a big turtle and carved my name in its shell. You're a jerk, oh. Oscar. Get out of my house. You know, so it sort of <laughs> goes away. And it's sort of rediscovered in July of 1948. Uh, the farm at that point was owned by a man named Gail Harris. And Harris's brother-in-law and his friends were fishing on the lake. And they saw a turtle that they said was as big as a tabletop. That's the quote. As big as a tabletop. Sam, how big is a tabletop? I, that would depend on the kind of table. <laughs> You see, that's what I thought when I when I first <laughs> read this back in the mid-90s when I was doing research on this. But that, mm-hmm. that quotation has – as all the quotations I have, they, they stick with you, right? Even, yes. Even decades later. Um, yep. As big as a tabletop. And I assume they meant like a big table because otherwise – Yeah. I mean I picture dining room when someone says something like that. But. Yeah. They, they looked for this turtle for about a year. And then in, um, well, in 1949, January of 1949, a zoo, and newspapers didn't say where, offered several hundred dollars for it. Mm. And apparently, people from the zoo came out and used an animal described as a water weasel to try mm. to catch it. I don't understand. But they were able to get a, <laughs> they were able to get a glimpse of it. It was January in Indiana, so the lake was frozen over. They cut a hole in yeah. the ice, and, and they used a periscope upside down to look underneath the surface of the ice to try to find it. And they saw it. They weren't able to capture it, but the people from the zoo apparently saw it and estimated it to be between three and 400 pounds. 
A couple months later, in March of 1949, there was a really slow news day. And that's what later stories actually said. There's an article about how, how the Trudel story <laughs> got started. Well, all we had was the fact that a police manhunt wasn't going very well and it was raining. So we needed something to fill the paper. So they said, have they ever caught this turtle? And somehow this went the 1949 equivalent of viral. It got picked up by <laughs> wire services. It got picked up by the Indiana news wire service. So it was in newspapers all around the state and people show up by the hundreds at this lake looking for the turtle. And it's estimated that throughout 1949 into 1950, there are thousands of people running around doing various things to try to find this turtle. I think that number <laughs> might be exaggerated a little bit, but um, <laughs> it's definitely hundreds. And the town of Cherubusco gets in on this too. And I've memorized this quotation from a newspaper, which I'm, wow. I'm really impressed by. I've, I've got a pretty good memory. <laughs> The 1,200 residents of the northeastern Indiana town have decided to build a turtle house for Oscar. The community association, a local chamber of commerce, said the structure will be put up right in the center of town where everyone can see him if they can catch him. This sounds remarkably cruel. It does. Yeah. So let's catch this beautiful natural creation and put him in a little house in the center of town so everybody can gawk at him. Yeah. Instead of letting him live out his amazing life in the water. So in this article, Harris, the farmer, complains that he never should have told anybody about the turtle because mm. he's not getting any actual farm work done because he's <laughs> spending his time dealing with people looking for the turtle. And he's still trying to find the turtle himself. Mm -hmm. In September, he tries a couple other things. And the headline was, my memory's amazing, Sam, you've got to admit <laughs> that. The headline was, Pumping away at lake with hope of snaring Oscar. Yes, he is trying to drain the oh, lake. He's got wow. pumps hooked up to tractor engines. Oh, they they also there's also an attempt to they bring in a female turtle named Minnie from Florida. Mm. And I guess they just have her, you know, she's strutting herself around the pond, hoping <laughs> Oscar, they're hoping Oscar just, you know, tries to take a shot at that, but um <laughs> didn't work. Didn't work. Minnie was not mm. uh was not alluring. Enough. Um, nope. So nothing works. Despite hundreds of people being involved in attempts, there are people who catch turtles they think might be Oscar, but they're a measly 15 pounds. But then in 1951, Cherubusco decides to redirect the efforts to find the turtle into a public event, Turtle Day. We've got hundreds of people coming to town in the summers looking for this turtle. It's still in the news. Why not do a big thing? try to raise some money and pay off the mortgage on the town's community building. And so they do this. And the first turtle day featured a pie eating contest and the crowning of a turtle day queen. And the highlight was to be quote, a mechanical turtle fashioned from a big truck. Ooh. And turtle day is now turtle days. It goes on for three or four days every summer. And I've been to turtle days. Yeah. Oscar, the beast of Busco, not a monster, but um, I think spiritually a descendant of old Snapjaw up in, up in Sini. Well, hey, I'm going to go get another, um, yeah, not a wassail, but yeah, let's get some more beers and then maybe we'll have time for some more monster stories. All right. Great Lakes Lore is going to be taking a break for the holidays, so you won't be hearing any new episodes for the next few weeks, but we will be back on January 17th 
to kick off a whole new series of episodes. Absolutely. And we will have some little treats dropping on the feed and on YouTube and on social media all during that time. So not all during that time, but occasionally we will, <laughs> we will, we will not vanish from your lives if you follow us <laughs> on social media. But you can subscribe to the show at greatlakeslore.com or wherever you find podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Links are in the show notes and we'll be active there uh, as well as on YouTube. Links are links to YouTube are in there as well. We'll be active throughout our little New Year's break. Great Lakes Lore relies on listener donations rather than advertising. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, there are links in the show notes and at greatlakeslore.com to contribute. And be sure to reach out with your questions and comments on on this episode and uh, any episode of this first run. <laughs> I think if you have any questions we didn't answer about previous mm-hmm. episodes, if you've listened to them after uh, the, those initial weeks when they dropped. If you have questions about anything we've done on the show, send them to us and we will hit them in our last installment of Monday Mail Call for 2021. And also, if you like the show, uh, we'd love it if you would leave a, uh, a rating and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you rate and review your podcasts. Those are really valuable to us. And now it's time for our last installment of Legend or Lie. Yes, it all comes down to this. Uh, My humiliation is almost complete. And while I won't beat you in the score of people being correct. I will win no matter what. (laughs) You will win no matter what. But I can can narrow the gap a little bit if I can fool you with this. I think I've got the perfect balance of something interesting, but also... Not so much detail that you think you know something you may not. I think <laughs> I've crafted another second perfect legend or lie. Okay. There's the story in Europe, Northern Europe, of a cat, a large cat who prowls the countryside during the Christmas season and eats people who don't have any new clothes to wear on Christmas Eve. That's the story. <laughs> um... Do you have a specific country or just all like, is this like Scandinavia, Northern Europe or like Germany and Poland or what, what are we talking? Scandinavia. Okay. A giant cat. Did you say giant cat? Giant, a huge. Okay. Nasty cat. It's not like a house cat that's running around slowly eating people. Okay. I'm going to say lie. It's real. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and I thought jewel. I knew, like, I thought I was really good on my, like, Christmas she weird is, holiday folklore. <laughs> it, it's the Yule cat, and it's the house oh. pet of a creature named Grulia and her Oh, sons. I've heard, okay, and I've heard of that. Grulia the giantess from Norse mythology. Okay. Now, we should probably get back to the party. Yeah, it's going, I think this is a great idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad I left the, uh, the, the tape recorder running. Yeah. All right, so I've got a monster. So this is this is a fun one. We're gonna we're gonna jump a little bit further back in the wayback machine here and talk about the Mich- the Michigan merman or the Lake Superior merman. As you know, the Great Lakes region was originally settled by Native Americans, and so largely there were three tribes: the Ojibwe, the Potawatomi, and the Ottawa. Eventually, as the Europeans came over, um, the French were the first ones to really, you know, I guess I'll say infiltrate. <laughs> 
um, the the Great Lakes region. That's what they did. They didn't really come yes, in force. Exactly. They just sort of snuck in and killed beaver. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and so we have the French Jesu- Jesuit missionaries as well as a lot of fur traders um, that began colonizing the region. And voyageurs were these fur trader folks. Um, so they're voyageurs, but they're French. So they're voyageurs. <laughs> so they're they're tootling along in their canoes on the Great Lakes waterways through the Great Lakes and the river systems that connect them. And this story deals with one of those voyageurs, and his name was Venet St. Germain, which I found very interesting because the Count of St. Germain is obviously... I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. (laughs) I was like, wait, for real? Um, Is it it the same guy? Because he did a lot of stuff. He lived for like hundreds of years. I know. St. Germain, along with three other men and an, oh, oh, an old Ojibwe woman, the story says, um, <laughs> <laughs> were, were traveling from um, Grand Portage, which is the region of Minnesota, like at the Minnesota-Canadian border. And um, they were going to go into Lake Superior and they were headed to Thunder Bay. And so they stop off on Pie Island, which is um, between Pie. Isle Royal. <laughs> uh, between Isle Royal and um, the can- Canadian the Canadian border, the top of Canadian land, or bottom, I guess, of Canadian land it would be um, from, right. from Lake Superior. I'm explaining that very poorly, but you know what the I mean. Southern, <laughs> the southern Canadian coast. Yes, yes. So, so they get they reach Pie Island and they need to get some more food to take on their voyage. So Saint Germain ordered the three men to go and put their nets out in the water, and he heads down with them. And on his way back, he decides to take one last look out across Lake Superior, and something catches his eye. And he claims that he saw this creature from about the waist up above the water, like way way out in the water, um, and it looked humanoid like it appeared to be Mm. human um but he couldn't see anything from the waist down but it just sort of sat up in the water looking back at him and he stared at it in confusion apparently it raised an arm it had an arm up in the air so he could tell it had like fingers so it appeared very manlike but it said kind of like a child he described it as Mm. and so the three others came up to him and it sort of snapped him out of this trance and he thought oh my gosh i should kill this (laughs) Of course. So he <laughs> grabs his rifle and the um, Ojibwe woman runs out and she's like, no, you can't do this. And there's like a bit of a tussle and the creature's able to get away. And she's very upset and explains that it was actually a water spirit or a water god referred to as, I'm going to probably say this wrong, but Mimigwashi. <laughs> perhaps and that's how i've heard it pronounced yeah okay and that now he had been upset and this thing is able to you know create a big storm essentially and there was then starting that night a storm that lasted for 72 hours and apparently it was a horrible storm saint germain reported and they all had to huddle together in like the middle of the island and in order for it to pass And we have this story because later, so this happened in um, 1782, and later in 1812, St. Germain retold this table and actually signed a sworn affidavit to two judges in Montreal. And so that's how we have this story. And he also mentioned that the body of the creature was sort of a brownish hue, and it was covered in sort of a, a woolly kind of a fur. 
so that's that's the Lake Superior Merman. There are some other um, native myths, I guess, that go along with it or other interpretations of it. It's also referred to as Nebonabawak, perhaps? This creature spirit is described as looking far more like a um, what we think of as a mermaid as opposed to sort of this little hairy childlike creature. Interesting. Yeah. So are there th- do the legends continue like later on? You know, I because story? I was so interested in this just the other day, I thought I should look this up for my own curiosity. <laughs> and I didn't really find any. Like I didn't really find any new sightings. I didn't like dive deep into, you know, like a historical newspaper search, but just I mean, everything that I found that talked about it, um, I got a lot of this information from a website called um, the Pine Barrens Institute.com, which I thought was interesting. I've heard of that. Yeah. You've heard of this? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's weird because it's not, it's like located in like Wisconsin, like the person who runs it is in Wisconsin, but. Not my Jersey Devil Pine Barrens. <laughs> Although one would assume there are some Pine there Barrens in Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 Um, but then there also um, is a website called Michigan's Other Side, and they mention it as well. But all of these websites just tell this historical story. They don't talk okay. about any new or current sightings or or anything like that. And in fact, the legend has become all mixed up because I ran into the website for the Great Lakes Boating Magazine. <laughs> and it says that St. Germain saw the merman in 1812. When really he had seen it in 1782 and was recounting the story. And it also went into this, you know, they interviewed some woman who had a, I think they said a master's of art degree or something from Central Michigan University and lived up in the UP. And she was an artist now. And she sort of mixed it all up with the legend of Mishipishu, um, which is the water panther, but they, or, or water dragon. But then it just went into this whole water dragon story. And it was, it's all just conflated because that's what people do with Native American legends. So, But that's really interesting. It is a cool story. And what jumps out at me is that this St. Germain fella is signing a sworn affidavit in front yes. of two judges in Montreal about this weird creature sighting uh, mm-hmm. 20 years before. Why? Yeah. why? I mean, why did it Why did it come up? Why? It's like, was it a bet? It's like... Uh, you didn't see anything. He said, I will swear in front of a right. couple of judges that I saw a thing. It's like it just escalates mm-hmm. into this thing where two drunk Frenchmen in the middle of the night in Montreal are trying to track down judges to settle this bet. And so so St. Germain ends up. Oh, so this is. Well, perhaps it is the same St. Germain and this is all just staged. But this St. Germain had um, an untimely death. He was hanging out with one of his Voyager buddies and they had a little. I don't know. They're kind of razzing on each other or whatever. And he's like, ah, you couldn't shoot me if you tried. St. Germain says to this other guy and he's like, oh, Oh, ha ha ha. And he pulls out the gun that he doesn't think is going to fire or something. I don't, I was a little confused by the story and (laughs) then he shot and dies. What? (laughs) You know what? A lot of times people will say, you know, people today, don't have any common sense. Why do people today <laughs> act so stupid? No, people have always been stupid. People have always acted stupid. So I've got one more story. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, I, I do. And and this is one of my favorites, and it comes from one of my favorite collections of weird things. Um, in 1973, 
across the United States and I think in other parts of the world too, there was a huge wave of sightings, uh, sometimes usually connected with UFOs, but involving humanoid creatures, generally a body and a head and limbs or some combination thereof. And and a, a few of these were in the Great Lakes region. There's all kinds of stories that I could choose from, but this one is really interesting. And it was in Albany, Ohio, October 16th, 1973. And it's a woman, the witness is a woman, and she arrives home in the evening and she sees, she says, a ghost-like figure floating a thousand feet away, 50 feet in the air. Was it wearing old-timey clothes? No, it was draped in a close-fitting sheet, she said. And it was tall and thin. Mm. And it approached the woman who saw it to within about 200 feet, then vanished. Sam, I need to ask you, because I don't know. And I always, whenever I tell the story at parties, which is surprisingly (laughs) often, actually, (laughs) the question I always have for people is, in the dark, when confronted with a floating figure in the air, how good are you, do you think, at estimating distances? I'm always horrible at estimating distances, so my answer is just bad in general. So you don't think you could sort of pinpoint a thousand feet and no, fifty not feet at in all. the air, yeah, not in the dark. All. Also, seeing something that small—that's a thousand feet away—like that's that's a lot. That's a fifth of a mile. About yeah. So so if, if you're seeing it a thousand feet away, and then it closes to two hundred feet. I'm going to be freaked out because this thing's got to be huge. If you could see it well enough to sort of distinguish that it was a, yeah. a thin being and then it comes, it mm-hmm. must be like, like that Jesus statue in Brazil, you know, that's <laughs> on the side of the cliff, you know, that that's, yeah. or on the mountain. That's what I'm imagining this it's is. Like, oh, it's so little. Oh, holy moly. Yeah. So it vanishes. And then later she's in her house and she sees what she calls a little blue green thing that was two and a half feet tall. And had a face with spiky things at the tops and sides of the head. It was just sort of looking at her through an open door. And it had stumpy arms. She didn't know if it had his legs. And then it disappears quickly. Hmm. So I don't know what all this is. But that same night, there had been a UFO sighting in Athens, Ohio, just down the road. Oh. I think it was aliens. I mean, I don't know another explanation. Probably a cousin of the Hopkinsville, the Kelly Hopkinsville guy. Oh, yeah. Without question. Definitely related. All right. Well, I have one more story for you now. So oh, okay. this one is is an odd one. Um, this is the Loveland Frogman. So I've heard of this this creature, um, this, this frog person. Apparently, I like human animal things, dogmen and frogmen and mermen and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it seems so, yes. <laughs> um, so it seems that this story originated in 1972. In March of that year, there are two separate sightings by police officers of what they claimed looked like a giant frog. So the first was Officer Richard Shockey. He was driving to Loveland via the Riverside Road. I just wanted to, where is Loveland? In Ohio. Okay. I guess. I oh, I'm that. sorry. I didn't say that. Yeah. The oh, that's okay. <laughs> Loveland, it's, it's Ohio. Because yeah. I, I know that there's a couple Lovelands in various places. And also I was imagining oh. an amusement park called Loveland, which would be kind of cool. Oh. Yeah. Sort of Valentine's uh, themed. Yeah. The Swans Tunnel thing. Yeah. Underwater. But that's the yeah. whole park. That's the only ride. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
so anyways, back back to Officer Shockey. <laughs> At 1 a.m., he was driving on Riverside Road towards Loveland, and he thought he saw a dog beside the road. The creature then stood up on two legs and leapt over the guardrail and went down an embankment into the Little Miami River. He said that it was about 60 pounds, so dog size. It's roughly the size of my dog. Um, yeah. And it stood three or four feet tall. It had textured, leathery skin and the face of a frog or lizard. What? Amphibious in nature. So he sees... What he thinks is a dog, it stands up on two legs. It's a four foot tall frogman. Yep. Leaps over the guardrail down into the river. That is wild. <laughs> yeah. So he thought so too. He headed back to the station and he found his um, friend, Officer Mark Matthews, and they went back to the scene of the sighting and they found scrape marks headed down towards the river. That's sort of the end of that. So this was on. Um, March 3rd. So then on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, Officer Matthews had a similar experience. He thought there was a dead animal on the side of the road, but when he stopped, he thought he was cleared off the road. And when he stopped and he opened the door, it startled the creature and it stood up. And he described it as a football player like crouch that it was kind of standing in on its two hind feet. So I'm imagining like, you know, at the line, you know, as they're all standing there. So, so the creature then walked over to the guardrail and apparently didn't take his eyes off of Officer Matthews. So I just imagine it like hobbling <laughs> over to the guardrail. They put so one weird. leg over the guardrail and Matthews decided to shoot at the creature. And then this is where things get weird. So the story that I told you. This is where things get weird? <laughs> source wise, things get oh, weird okay. because I, like I love memorizing weird stories weird source issues with these different stories in my head so well the podcast is a kind of therapy for these kinds of issues that we have of having all these stories in our heads all the time it is. yeah so the story that i've told you i remember i got from um the weird u.s website it's also the same in the weird ohio book and the book claims in this website that office that the officer missed and the creature got away then in 1999, Officer Matthews said that he was tired of talking about the incident and that it was just a big iguana that was missing its tail. The big iguana stood up, put a leg over a guardrail, like climbed over the. Well, he's saying that that none of that happened. <laughs> oh, so he's saying it didn't happen. Not that a, an iguana did this. Okay. Well, was there was an was iguana, but that it didn't like act like a frogman. Right. Okay. And so the weird U.S. folks had been relying on the research of, they called them the two Fortean researchers, Ron Schaffner and Richard Mackey, who researched the story before. And that after, oh, and that they weren't sure why Matthews had changed the story because both of the officers claimed that the creature looked like a giant frog at the time. So I thought this was interesting. That's weird. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I did a little more digging. Oh. I found a new story from the Cincinnati ABC station. And um, in it, it's far more recent, Matthews, Officer Matthews, came forward and said that it was all a hoax. He had actually killed oh. the creature when he shot it, and it was a large, sickly iguana missing its tail, probably something that you know someone let out of the house, they didn't want it anymore, whatever. And he took it to Shockey, the first officer, 
because he had been so upset by the incident, he wanted to be like, look, this is what you saw. <laughs> um, yeah. And and that was that. Matthews claims that he never tried to hoodwink anybody. He said he told the whole story when he was interviewed by someone writing, quote, a book about Ohio urban legends. <laughs> um, but the man ended the story with the gunshot, not mentioning that Matthews had killed the creature. So Matthews and Shockey were not out to, you know create a hoax but that as they were interviewed you know that's that's the story that was found to be more interesting and so that was the story that was told and the weird u.s folks to me it seems like they didn't quite do their due diligence because when they reinvestigated they said they reinvestigated the story they only talked to those two fortian investigators schaffner and mackie and not the officers who were involved in the sighting so they went back to their secondary source instead of looking for a primary source were there any other places that talked about these frogmen? Yes. So I found this um, this really cute story. It was an article from a local high school newspaper. And um, they, they had a few mistakes. They claimed that the first sightings were in 1955, but they didn't go into detail. But the article itself was really sort of funny and tongue-in-cheek. And they were saying that the Loveland Frogman is back and had a picture like, ah, oh, he left a warning on a marker board. And then, you know, the one, the kid writing it said he had received an email from an unknown source saying to meet <laughs> the Frogman in this tunnel. And they had this picture of like this man wearing a frog mask, like attacking. <laughs> oh, that's was- awesome. It was super cute and funny, but like, and I guess this just goes to show that there's so little about the Loveland Frogman, but like this, this article, this little high school newspaper showed up on the first page of the Google results. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so people who, you know, haven't done more research could read this and, you know, get things confused or maybe they're like, oh, well, clearly like this end part is funny, but the first sightings were in 1955. But I don't know if they were kind of making that story up too. You don't know. <laughs> so right. that's why the, the the due diligence of the research is important. Wow. That's amazing. I <laughs> I think that's a, that's a really interesting story. I, I ended up liking it once I found the weird twists into like what really happened and everything. So at first I was like, well, this is kind of lame. There's just like these two police officers that saw something weird, you know, and then it ended up being kind of a rich story and talking about research and how things get messed up and stuff. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting that the the clearly sort of satirical article is the one that shows up in the search results, which is just typical. I think we saw that with the Witch Castle episode yeah. too, that uh, that Madison, Indiana high school newspaper mm-hmm. website article that gets most of the facts wrong is <laughs> right. But it but is but it's very sweet and endearing. Yeah. Oh yeah, this was an adorable article. I had fun reading it. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I think it's about time to wrap the party up. Um, yeah, I've got a long drive back home. So Yeah, but uh but thanks for coming to the to the studio for the party. I I mean would have been nice if if um if I'd invited other people and if Jimmy had gotten the invitations right but um, yeah and I'll bring music next time just leave that one up to me All right. Well, thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. This was written and produced by us at the party and our music, the holiday theme music was by Hurspiel Verstadt. And the party music was courtesy the Internet Archive via Mima's old Victrola.
Great Lakes Lore is a Chizo Media production. Chizo Media. Our heart is somewhere at the North Pole with Santa. <laughs> Until next time, don't get lost in the lore.